Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to Compliance Into the Weeds, a podcast where, with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, founder and editor of Radical Compliance, we take a deep dive into the weeds of a compliance or compliance-related topic. Before I get to this week's topic, uh, as you know, <clears throat> the Compliance Podcast Network is always on the lookout for new podcasts. Have you ever wanted to start a podcast but didn't know how? Well, if you've thought about it, please take a listen to this week's sponsor, One Stone Creative. If you are enjoying this show, you might enjoy hosting your own. As an expert in your field, you have skills, knowledge, and insight that can help you expand your practice, meet new people, and create amazing content to share with the world. In as little as two hours a week, you can dramatically change how you promote, fill, and position your business, and One Stone Creative can show you how. Learn more at onestonecreative.net. In this rather somber episode, Matt Kelly and I take a look at the recent events in El Paso, Texas, and Dayton, Ohio, and explore them from the compliance perspective. We take a look at what, as a compliance officer, you need to do to prepare your organization for uh, such a tragedy, but also what happens when those within your organization engage in either uh, racist or hate-filled social media or other forms of communication. We take a look at the liability of companies who uh, do business uh, with uh, such third parties, how your organization is going to have to do much more than have active shooter drills to prepare itself from the uh, potential coming onslaughts of this sort of continued activity going As I said, unfortunately, this is something that uh, has now become almost ubiquitous in American society with the uh, mass shootings, and it's something you're going to have to prepare yourself to respond to going forward. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network, and now a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, uh, together with Matt Kelly and a very somber podcast today. Because in this episode of Compliance into the Weeds, we're going to take a look at some of the compliance and other issues related to the two massacres that occurred this weekend, uh, one in El Paso, Texas at a shopping mall, one in Ohio at a bar. Uh, unfortunately, I think everyone knows this has become way too common in the United States, but that doesn't mean that uh, we shouldn't talk about it, think about it study it, analyze it, because there's a lot of different angles for this. So I'm not sure that's the right introduction or not, Matt, but uh, uh, welcome to this podcast. Yeah, thank you, Tom. And uh, I mean, like you said, I I do not relish talking about these issues. Um, You know, if the trade-off was that uh, we had no mass shootings, but you and I have to talk about training software for the rest of our lives, I'd be happily do something like that. And if there are anybody who is listening who somehow has some connection to a victim of one of these shootings, you know, my, my heart does go out to you. And it's, it's not our goal here to bring up painful issues. But, Tom, to, I think, your point that you said towards the end there, we can't ignore these issues. I would even go a step further to say that there are a lot of implications about business ethics and business decisions that need to be made around issues such as gun control, extremist political views, um, and other very delicate political topics that are seeping into the corporate world. And we cannot get away from this. We cannot pretend 
this is something left for the politicians and government and the political sphere. I don't think that's true. I think that increasingly we are going to see people clamoring for action to be taken by large, powerful institutions. And corporations are large, powerful institutions, and they're not going to be able to dodge confronting these things. So as much as I, like I said, I I really can't say I like talking about this at all. I think we should, and I think there's stuff to be said. Well, uh, it's things that we have talked about, uh, I think, over the past uh, certainly six months. I know you've uh, written and blogged about a lot of these topics, Matt. So you want to perhaps start with uh, what's the the compliance angle that you see at this point? I see more than compliance. I see it as a business ethics issue. And I think probably the single most important point around all of this is that there might be companies out there, probably a lot of companies out there with a lot of executives who might think that these are issues beyond the purview or control of corporate America. Things like gun policy, racism, xenophobia. I I don't think anybody would say these are not serious threats. I think a lot of executives would wholly agree these are serious threats in the United States. But how do they fall into the realm of corporate responsibility and attention? Shouldn't the government or the political system be doing this? I would say, no, I don't think that's a correct analysis. Um, As the U.S. political system descends into paralysis and inaction, and some other time, if we want to geek out over why that is, we can, but the fact is, that is what is going on. Um, The public is placing more expectation on businesses to fill that void in leadership, and we have seen this. Uh, I am a big fan of the Edelman Trust Report that comes out uh, every January. It is an exhaustive study of public opinion in trust in various organizations. They have been doing this for decades. They poll tens of thousands of people around the world. Their numbers are solid and reliable and authoritative. And a clear trend that has emerged lately and that the Edelman Trust Report talked about a lot in this past January's report is that Large majorities of the public say that companies should play a bigger role in issues such as gun control, immigration reform, climate change, political extremism. Large majorities of the public say that about companies overall, but also large majorities of employees say my company, my CEO, has to play a larger role in the public discourse about these issues. And, I mean, I can give you some specific examples in a moment, but I, like that is the big takeaway here, is that that is a theory, and it, you might think it is a theory, but it has very practical consequences for businesses that they're going to be forced to make decisions about these issues based on the corporate ethics and values that we've been talking about. And, like, you're going to have to really make a stand, and uh, that's going to be awkward and difficult. And I can give you a couple examples if you want. Sure, let's just play this string out. Um, I think first and foremost, we've seen several large banks say within the last year that they will no longer do business with certain gun manufacturers. Uh, Bank of America, and uh, they announced that they would no longer finance companies that make semi-automatic rifles, such as what we saw in both of these shootings this weekend and many others. Uh, Citigroup said last year that it would prohibit its clients from using its payment systems for gun sales to anybody that um, are younger than 21 or who have not passed a background check. 
if your customers have not done either of those, or don't pass that criteria, Citigroup isn't going to process your transaction with that customer if you're a gun dealer. Uh, Dick's Sporting Goods, they're another one. They stopped selling semi-automatic weapons in 2018 and all weapons to anybody under 21. Uh, Dick's Sporting Goods had a lot of pushback from the NRA when they did that. There were these consumer boycotts from gun activists. Uh, dozens of Dick's employees, uh, Dick's sports employees quit. Um, sales have suffered since Dick's announced that. Uh, their sales went down 3% this year. Hard to say how much of that is due to their gun stance. And, okay, sales went down, but still the stock price has gone up since they've announced this uh, somewhat. So, like, we don't know exactly how much of Dick's position can be attributed to that, but these are real decisions companies are making. And I'll give you one that is hot off the presses that I thought was fascinating. Uh, The CEO of Cloudflare, which is a cybersecurity firm, that helps websites prevent denial of service attacks from hackers, where they besiege your website so nobody else can log on to your site. Cloudflare offers services to prevent that sort of attack. They do it for a vast number of websites. They do it for my website. They probably do it for whoever you are listening. They probably do it for your company's website, too. Um, And the CEO of Cloudflare, Matthew Prince. He said in an article to the New York Times today, he gave an interview where he said he is not going to provide that service to 8chan, which is an online discussion group for a lot of extremists where the El Paso shooter had published his anti-immigrant screed. And uh, so Matthew Prince at Cloudflare said, no, I'm not going to provide those services to that business, that website 8chan anymore, uh, because it's a hate group. And that inevitably means that there are other groups out there that they're going to do a denial of service attack on HN, and that site's never going to function well again. I think that's a good thing. But uh, Matthew Prince was saying that he was not comfortable with the idea that one company, his company, should have so much power to decide what other businesses do or don't get to be online. Because without Cloudflare or some of its other rivals, like, you know, you're not going to be in business. You will get a denial-of-service attack. And RadicalCompliance.com learned that the hard way because it happened to me, and I had to sign up for Cloudflare on a Saturday night in a panic. Um, so he's right that certain companies will wield enormous power over other companies, and they will have to make a call. Do I think this other company is ethical or not. And if I think no, then I shouldn't do business with it, so I'm going to cut ties. And I think we're going to see more and more public insisting that businesses do this. Because generally speaking, we are all on the same page about hateful extremist groups. And um, I wonder how much we're going to expand that. Uh, Tom, later on, we could talk about people doing biz- businesses, doing business with the Trump administration and people being unhappy with that. But um, those are some of the examples of where like, companies are going to have to make decisions and do very public decisions that they can't get away from. And I don't think you can escape this broader point that Edelman raised, that uh, you know, co- people, the public, your employees, they're expecting you now to take difficult ethical stances here that are going to probably piss off at least 25% of some part of the country somewhere, no matter what. But here we are. So let me take that and run with it into a little more tactical series of questions and uh, certainly a very sure. weedy 
nerdy part, which is uh, liability. And uh, yep. let me start with Walmart, because unfortunately, uh, a large part of the uh, El Paso attack was in a Walmart store. Walmart, of course, is a gun seller. A large or some portion of uh, Walmart's customer base are uh, responsible gun owners, gun owners, Second Amendment rights, aficionados. So Walmart has the uh, ever delicate question of, do they continue to sell um, automatic weapons and other true uh, instruments of mass destruction? But I would like to consider what does Walmart do in terms of safety? Because the thing that I thought about a lot last night was, am I risking my life going to my local shopping mall? Um, mm-hmm. Am I risking my life to go buy groceries at Sam now? Sam's now. And frankly, it doesn't matter how many armed guards you put in a store. Uh, these attacks happen literally over 30 seconds. And you had 15 people yeah. killed, and that's the power of an automatic weapon. Uh, is Walmart now on notice that um, it has to do uh, take reasonable steps under the reasonable man argument? And, and if they have to take reasonable steps, what is reasonable? Is it literally an armed guard on every aisle? Because with a <clears throat> 30 to 60 round cartridge or chamber for an automatic weapon, um, it doesn't matter how quickly the police get there. Uh, you're not going to be able to survive. And then the same is true for businesses. Uh, if you uh, have a business and you have employees who are Second Amendment rights owners uh, in the great state of Texas, they claim their right to carry rifles, automatic or not, in public. If they walk into your place of work, uh, what is your duty? Do you call the police? Do you have them removed? Do they have a right to do that? If they do, um, if they have espoused Second Amendment rights or hate uh, online or even something that would appear to be, um, could cause employment termination, even if it's espoused now by a large part of the U.S. population, is that actual notice that that person could engage in such behavior? And if there's actual notice the limitations of liability around gross negligence uh, and maybe even insurance coverage are blown. So I've been thinking a lot about personal safety. I've been thinking a lot about what you can do. It really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you are armed yourself. Um, 15 seconds later, there could be 10 people, including you, dead uh, in an aisle uh, before anything happens. Uh, These are, that's just uh, unfortunately of where we're at now. And the ability to sell firearms, certainly responsible gun owners in this country. I'm a, I'm a gun owner in this country. Um, so I've bought firearms myself. But I don't uh, really see uh, how Walmart cannot uh, take a considered position now how any of these can cannot take a considered position now. And I really like your point about Cloudflare, Flare, because that was actually one of the things I was going to bring up around businesses reckoning, reckoning with this and how much more, how many more vendors uh, to either um, the security industry, to the arms manufacturing industry, or now down to 
internet service providers are going to reconsider their position. How many employees at Google, at an Amazon, at a Facebook, at any place are going to look at their uh, customer base and say, these people support hate. These people support um, automatic weapons. These people support Mm -hmm. other ideas which are leading to hate crimes and we should not as a company be a part of this and we're going to pull out of that business segment uh i think that's um perhaps uh we've seen that from uh employee groups but i wonder how prominent that's going to be not only now in the marketplace but really doing business with these types of uh companies going forward. And I know, Matt, you you had some thoughts around what this means doing business with the Trump administration. Well, you know, before I get to that, because I, I do have some thoughts about that, um, I think you raised a really excellent point about um, what would a company do if an employee was trying to exercise his rights under the Second Amendment and was bringing a rifle onto company property? Um, You've got, first off, on a very practical level, you have like some policy management questions that somebody somewhere in the organization should think about. If you don't already have a policy that would answer that question, you're, you're not in a good place from a risk management perspective. Um, I suspect that most companies probably do have solid policies, or, but, you know, are they clear? Are they in step with local law? Um, you know, I know, for example, that Texas is an open carry state and you can bring a gun into Walmart. Massachusetts is not. You try and bring a gun into Walmart, you are going to get stopped at the door and we're going to raise holy hell. And if you are a company that straddles multiple jurisdictions, have you figured this out? Do you know what to do about this? But, Tom, I would actually take it one step further. I think a real trouble spot for it companies right now is an employee who doesn't actually bring a gun into the office, but does bring extremist views and statements into the corporate sector. And what are you supposed to do with them? Um, It is not, we should note today, you know, this is how timely this is, is that just this afternoon, two hours ago, a federal judge in Florida sentenced a man named Caesar Sayok to 20 years in prison because he was the one who last year was apprehended sending pipe bombs to uh, Democratic political figures and to major media. Um, And when they apprehended him, they apprehended his van, and he had uh, pro-Donald Trump, anti-Hillary stickers all over it. As stereotypical as you, listener, can conjure up in your mind of what a hateful right-wing nutjob would look like, that was Caesar Sayok's van. Now, my question would be, what would you do if your employee drove a van just like that and parked it in the company parking lot? What would you do with him or her? Because they are essentially espousing the same sort of extremist views that um, you know, many other right-wing uh, white supremacists, radical conservative terrorists have been doing in this country for the last two and a half years. They haven't violated any specific law yet, but there is a high affiliation with people who are that crazy taking extreme acts. So what is the company's proper HR policy around issues like this? Um, And this is not a hypothetical. I know at least one corporate compliance officer where they have been grappling with this exact issue because an employee has done this this year, and they're not quite sure what to do. 
But what would you do if other employees started to say, we are not comfortable with this person here anymore. We don't want to work with him. What would you do if those employees who were complaining were all Latino? Because clearly, somebody just like Cesar Sayoc, who has another warped anti-immigrant extremist view, he went on a rampage in El Paso and killed 22 people, most of whom clearly were Hispanic. This was a hate crime. So how are you going to solve this when, as a practical matter, before it reaches some sort of terrible tragedy crisis like that, there's a high affiliation between that person and his extremist views and his political affiliation with either Republicans or Donald Trump. And there, I said it, that's the third rail. Nobody likes to talk about it, but all of these crazies are from the right end of the political spectrum. They affiliate with the Republican Party or its views somehow. I'm not saying they're all card-carrying members, but many of them are. And they are all generally going to be supporting either Donald Trump directly or his views. So as soon as you start to crack down on them, you are going to expose yourself to the idea, the criticism, that uh, you're cracking down on political thought of one particular party. And that's going to happen. And I don't know necessarily what the right answer is to that, because on another practical level, who cares? If you've got a nut job who seems like he's getting ready to shoot up every Latino in town, then who cares that he also is a diehard Trump supporter? You've got to get him out of there. You've got to report him to the FBI. Um, and at what point does a company start taking preventive risk management measures that are prudent to deal with someone like that? Or when is it going to be so late in the game that you know, you're two steps away from a tragedy? It should not come that close. But... We have the, this messy morass of extremist views, people wanting companies to do something because the political system isn't doing anything, and most of these extremist views coincide with support for Donald Trump. And the, the political affiliation and the loyalty he has with Republicans adds up to a big mess. But I, Tom, if you have a good answer, I'd love to hear it because I don't have one. But, but that's the mess, and we're kidding ourselves if we don't say it. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have a good answer, but I do have more questions. So, for instance, what if they come to work with a Confederate flag pasted across their back window? Is that enough? Yes. Is that enough to make African-American employees uncomfortable? If they raise that issue, uh, what are you going to do about it? Do you now need to actively monitor, social, monitor your employees' social media uh, to see if they are out there saying or, or doing things that would... Uh, give, uh, put you on notice or give you evidence that you've got a problem because if they are doing it and you're not monitoring and it turns out later uh, they come to work and and shoot up the place, um, I think you're going to be equally liable going forward. It's um, requiring, I think, a level of response that many companies have not thought through, they have not thought about, they have not thought about the implications, but from the legal liability perspective, alone, before we even get to uh, your points about doing business ethically and the Edelman Trust Report, uh, I think they all kind of play into the mix. So it's, uh, yeah. I think we started with no good answers, and I think we're still with no good answers. I, I can give you another real-life example. I know another compliance officer who told me last week that their company is dealing with some employees who want to form a white person support group. Now, that's stupid. As a white person, I can say, we don't need support groups. That is racism, and that is ridiculous, 
and you shouldn't tolerate it. And the company is not going to help them form a white person support group. But my question would be, is that a red flag? And if it is a red flag, what would you do with it? Because really, if we put this, let's say, let's go back to FCPA in the anti-corruption context. If you found uh, that you had some employee or third party who had some sort of affiliation with an extremist political group, not a member, not taking extreme political acts, they're not doing any sort of terrorism bombing, but they just say, you know, I think that ISIS is great, um, or I think that uh, working with this oligarch in Russia is perfectly fine, that would be a red flag, and you wouldn't ignore it in the anti-corruption context. Well, this would be a red flag. What are you going to do with it? And I don't know. And the compliance officer who told me, that person does not know either. But this is a real thing. And I, I think, Tom, to, to your points about liability and where does it come in play and you know, what is the reasonable man definition, it's more, you know, what red flags now become actionable? Because we've seen that it can very quickly go from a white flag to uh, a, one red flag of let's have a white support group to, you know, within a very short step to I have an AR-15 and I'm going to turn every Latino I can find into Swiss cheese. And we can't have that. Nobody can have that. Companies have to intervene, but where do you intervene? And, and I don't know. But like, that is a real problem that is happening with a real company right now, and they don't know what to do about it either. Well, uh, this has probably been our most somber podcast ever, Matt. I'm, I'm pretty sure we didn't come up with any answers, but boy, we sure, certainly raised some difficult questions. And I'm very afraid to say that we this is probably not the end of this uh, discussion, if not debate. No. I mean, I'd, uh, the only closing thought I would have is just so long as we have an awareness that this is an issue. And, you know, maybe we, you're right, Tom, we never even did get to the polarization of Donald Trump and the Trump administration and working with the Trump administration. Um, but I think, you know, companies cannot deny that there is a very slippery slope that some small sliver of the population is on. And we have to think about it because the consequences of not thinking about it are so awful. Um, and I, like, so long as we are all at least aware that this is an issue and we have to grapple with it, uh, you know, we're moving in the right direction. And I suppose that's the the best we could hope for right now. So as I noted, this was a pretty somber episode and there are a lot of somber issues for you to consider in this podcast. So uh, I hope you will uh, think about these things from the compliance perspective. Prepare yourself and your company as best you can. Um, Think about policies and procedures that you need to have in place to apply. Uh, Some of the topics uh, we've discussed in this podcast, obviously active shooter drills are now a mandatory part of every corporate training, so uh, make sure your training function is telling people what to do in that situation, and if you work in a building, um, you might actually talk to the building about that as well. So um, Matt and I will be back next week with hopefully a little more cheery topic on Compliance Into the Weeds. Compliance Into the Weeds is a presentation of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.